welcome to Be Simply Radio. This is she, and I want to thank you for joining us today. We have special guest Saul David Ray. He is a friend, a brother, a teacher to me, and I am so honored to have his presence here today. We're celebrating his new album, 10,000 Sons. In addition, we dive deep into some wisdom around yoga, bhakti, love, life, and liberation. Without further ado, let's dive in with Saul. So, Saul, I want to thank you for being here today. And I, as I was tuning into our interview this morning and celebrating your new album, I, like three words kept coming up with devotion to God and divinity, uh, love and light. And those are three aspects of songs that are included in the album. And I would love for you to start out before we dive into the body of the music uh, if you can share from a teacher and a musician, uh, sharing bhakti, the importance and the roots of having devotion with your yoga practice. Hi. <laughs> so, yeah, thanks, thank, thanks so much. I'm really happy to be here with you. And let's yeah. just dive right into the deep end. Yeah, it's great. No, I love it. And I, thanks for doing this and, you know, all the, everything you're doing to share love in the world and wisdom and goodness um so i'm honored to be here with you and and um okay. yeah so I, you know that's really gets right to the heart of it for me you know it's um you know sometimes in the modern culture we've we've we separate yoga like everything else into pieces we're kind of into separation down here you know on planet earth that's just yeah. part of our our learning <laughs> but but really the heart of yoga is devotion in the heart of any spiritual path, and, and and it's really you know developing a relationship through the heart with life, with you know with our own bodies, with each other, with life, and and the yogic culture, like many other cultures, had a deep reverence for life, which came out of that direct experience. When you read the writings of the yogis and other mystics, it's not theoretical knowledge. It's not um, you know, hypothetical. It's like this direct experience of merging into the one, into that source connection that we all have, and then sharing it from there. And so yoga, so much is about awakening the heart. And I'll say heart-mind, because that's part of it too, right? Our heart and our mind are just oh. two polarities of the same energy. Um, but yeah, so for me over the years, you know, being on the path of yoga in the West and in life, that's the place where I always, you know, I, I learn from my teachers and I come back to as just being that, the center of our being, literally. And, you know, it, it's not, it's never perfect because life down here is, is what it is. We're, we're in process. But there's incredible power that we tap into through the heart and I've just seen it in my own life and continue to see it where we you know we begin to heal and get in touch with our real um like our you know our who we really are right is in the heart mm -hmm. so yeah beautiful and how would you recommend and it's actually uh contemplating right little piece of this because we are in an evolution of yoga and that devotion aspect and sometimes people mm -hmm. might if they stop and contemplate that there is a, a very deep spiritual practice 
within what people may just look at as asana or maybe a little meditation, maybe a little pranayama, that where they can integrate their faith, you know, because we have all these different faiths here on this planet into yoga to help them uh, merge into that oneness and maybe have a deeper understanding of the faith that they practice. I mean, you know, this is a really great question. I mean, yoga is like in every... I won't say every country, but it's in most countries in the world. It's in most major cities. It's adapting to cultures across the planet. And the truth is it's really, uh, you know, the timelines of yoga. You know, when I first started yoga, the official academic timeline is, you know, that yoga is about, you know, really 3,500 years old, somewhere in there. And But the reference points of the yoga tradition put it way beyond 5,000 years. And some great scholars like David Frawley and others and, you know, uh, Indian teachers put the timeline more at about 10,000 years. So I don't really know what it is, but it, it's really this ancient practice. And there is an intersection point with the religion of India, the natural religion. It's, and just as a quick note, you know, Hinduism was never an, an Indian term. It was a term that came from the British. And, you know, what Hinduism was in India before was Sanatana Dharma, which means the eternal truth. That's the original spirituality of India. And within that, you have many different um, practices and connections. You know, there's the Shaktas, the Divine Mother, there's Ganapati, Ganesha, there's Krishna, there's Radha, there's, you know, it, it goes on and on because there are many different paths to God or to, you know, to goddess or to the mystery. So just simply that yoga is not, in my, in my learning, my experience, that's all I can share. Yoga is not a religion. It's a spiritual practice that connects us more deeply to our own essence. And if we are a Jew, if we're a Christian, if we're Muslim, the technology of yoga, which is the body, the mind, the breath, the heart, all levels of our being, it just connects us more deeply to that natural faith that we have. The word shraddha in Sanskrit means faith, but it literally means that which is placed in your heart. And that's, you know, what we really come to is, is our own intimate connection with life, with source. And so, you know, sometimes, you know, the, the religious parts get added in there. And, you know, it's beautiful if that is what you're, you know, if that resonates for you. But the technology of yoga is not at all about, you know, one certain way that we have to experience God, mm. you know. Either. Absolutely. And if you can share, when you say technology, uh, as mentioned a little earlier, uh, yoga being a system and yeah. in our modern Western, I don't know, our evolved Western world, I don't know if it's modern or not, but uh, is we celebrate more of the asana, especially if you go into social media, uh, you get to see a lot of poses. Uh, But if you can share a little bit about the importance of engaging uh, and how you've witnessed as a teacher to many uh, people engaged with the practice and the technology and how it kind of guides and awakens within you beyond the asana, maybe the pranayama. Yeah, sure. Um, what a great question. You know, a teacher once said, uh, even if you pull a cat by the tail, you'll still get the cat. <laughs> 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 and, 
And, um, you know, we, we live in a really, honestly, a physical, material culture, not just in America, but really, you know, it, throughout the modern world. It's, it's an emphasis on the material, physical form. Um, so it's very natural that, you know, we, we, the exercise, fads, and, you know, all those things. But, you know, yoga is... Um, Yoga is does have a very strong physical component, and people have really embraced that. But when you pull the the tail, meaning you start maybe we just come to yoga for physical reasons, we're still going to go into those other layers of our being. And so the other part of that question that you asked is really that you know yoga is meant as a technology or practices or spiritual path to not just spiritual path but as a life path to speak to every level of our being so there actually are practices for body mind breath spirit consciousness heart and so you know our teachers you know share what they've learned and you know it's really about um we, we Yoga meets us where we are. Some people come to it for emotional reasons, for stress, for physical, you know, pain. But it is a complete system. When we've, you know, we've only learned it as a physical practice, maybe a teacher learns it only as a physical practice, part of their learning will be to continue to learn the full depth of yoga. And that's the same for students. So even though, you know, some people say, you know, yoga in the West, it's too physical only, you know, it's not spiritual. Everybody's going in their own time, and, you know, we'll get there. The, the beautiful thing is people are doing yoga, and they're getting connection to their bodies. And yet, you know, a side effect of it is, like with everything in our social media, you know, posting these skin-deep images of whatever, but the the essence will shine through. And, you know, a, a lot of the teachers that, you know, you know, have, you know, let's say a beautiful body or beautiful poses or those kind of things. They do have a certain shakti, right, that's expressing as they continue in their journey and deepen, all of their students will go with them. It's like we're in this, you know, you mentioned evolution. It's like to really see that we're in this process of evolution together, this awakening not only on the planet but individually, collectively. And everybody's going at their own time. Like, you know, anybody could wake up at any moment. You know what I mean? And, Absolutely. Um, yeah, so I just kind of, you know, I try to see, I mean, I definitely have my preferences or, you know, things that I'm drawn to, but it, trying to see the good in everything and just see that, you know, people are where they are. We're all imperfect, but we're we're working it out. And yoga becomes the, the link. Yoga means, right, union. It also means to connect or link. It's the process whereby we link back to all of who we are and all of what is. Well said. And if you uh, were to encourage uh, your students and maybe people that are just familiar with your work and those that have actually, you know, entered the gateway, I figure people are entering the gateway of yoga where, it's they're ready to meet it. So it might be in that physical practice or meditative or might be just from studies. If you can encourage uh, those listening how to 
move beyond what they think they know, maybe in reflections of your own practice. Because I know for me over several decades, you know, I keep meeting it in a different place. You know, it keeps something. I'm like, oh, wow, now I understand that a little bit deeper. Uh, if you can just speak a little mm-hmm. bit to that, to how one can encourage self to just um, keep to deepen the practice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, keep at it. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think that, you know, I, I, I always say that the most important quality is sincerity. You know, it's not how strong or flexible or how much intellect or wisdom we have, but it's really sincerity. And there's something about our sincerity and the power in that that moves mountains and and helps us to really align with life. And life is about deepening. It's about cultivating, you know, wisdom and moving into a deeper experience of life. And so I would just say that, you know, when a student is sincere, like there's a beautiful saying in the Upanishads that uh, it says, when the student is ready, the master appears. And what I would say is that that's not just a physical teacher or guru, but it's also something that shows up in our life. Maybe it's, a, you know, like a book or a, a course or an invitation, right? So there are certain practices, though. You know, it's like it's, it's kind of like if somebody is more just in the world of asana, then that's great. Also understand yoga as this holistic system and also learn, you know, the other um, practices in the Eightfold Path, right? So asana is one limb. But learn pranayama, learn the philosophy, learn the meditation. And to seek out a teacher in your area or, you know, or somewhere. I mean, now we have the global Internet, but, you know, just to begin to open in that direction. And I, and I actually think it just happens very naturally. But our sincerity is what we can always improve upon because the, the more we are present to what is, the more, like, let's say we start our day with maybe just like a little prayer or meditation, a few minutes. That's all we have. We have a busy life. But in those few minutes that we really go deep and we feel that part of us, because now what I feel is like there's a part of all of us that is always connected, that is, um, you know, it's like our, you know, deeper wisdom. It's our, higher self it's our inner self and the more we can connect with that we start to cut out the interference and distractions in our life that we've all been conditioned into you know at a certain level just and so we we think we are this person but usually you know we're just it's a lot of what we've taken on about who we are does that make sense mm-hmm. i'm kind of uh, trying uh, to fit some uh, stuff in. yeah okay yeah so it's like just you know if it's if you just practice one minute a day let that one minute be as deep as you can to be connected to your deeper self, which is actually your inner teacher, which is going to guide you more deeply in your life. Well said. Uh, and, well, two things. I wanted two rows of questions that appeared in your words. Uh, one, if you can share a little bit about, um, when we go into that deepening, there's this aspect in almost all cultures, whether it's a yogic system or an indigenous system, 
that you start to access the unseen. And so within yoga, sometimes you, now we've like had the mythology and the practices brought into our pop culture. But if you could speak a little bit about beyond that, the aspect of we take something like Ganesh, because uh, I know you have a connection to him. Uh, if you can share a little bit about what happens when you start to access that unseen to seen and what the, what, from your perspective, what you feel the purpose is, because it's so mystical and mysterious sometimes, mm-hmm. but, but yeah. it, can't, it can't be refuted, you know? Uh, you, can't, right. you can't prove it necessarily to anyone, but <laughs> those that, that, that experience it, they, they see it, you know? For me, like, the national yeah. one of those strong ones where the, the crossover is very strong for me to that uh, right. lineage, I guess. So if you can share a little bit about that. Yeah, After. sure. Um, Jai Ganesha. Um, so, wow, there's a lot there. That So I, I just want to, you know, we talked about, you talked about the unseen, right? So what our scientists tell us is that we're actually aware of about 1% to 10%, and I've heard one estimate at 13% from the physicists, so let's say 1% to 13% of phenomena of what's actually here through our normal senses, that's actually what we're aware of. Now, let's say, you know, even if it's 13%, but it's probably, I'm, I'm guessing it's closer to 1%. Yeah. But that's what we're actually perceiving. That means that 99% or, you know, 87%, 90% of reality is actually, that, that's actually what's happening right here in everyone's experience in this moment, we're only aware of about, let's say, 10% of that. I'm kind of jumping around in my numbers, but let's just lock it in at 10%. So that means that most of life is invisible. and this, But it doesn't mean that we're separate from it. And that's maybe a difference between modern science and certain spiritual cultures. But you also find that many physicists become deeply spiritual people as they penetrate deeper into their understanding of the cosmos. So in yoga, the understanding is that, yes, we're only perceiving a certain amount, let's say 10%, but you are intimately connected to that other 90% because that is you and you are that. And the mythologies of the world, not just in India, but really every culture has its own mythology. It, it has a way of, so this is the mythical realm. It What it does is it, personifies the universe, it personifies our experience into forms that we can actually relate with. And those forms are actually archetypal forms in human consciousness that are doorways for us to experience directly that other 90%. So Ganesha, we we could pick different ones, but Ganesha or Ganaisha, is two words, the one and the many, the spirit. Uh, Isha can mean Lord or divine spirit, and Gana is the many, the multitudes. So that's a beautiful meaning, the the spirit, the one who is in the many, the divine child. And we don't even have to say it's a hymn, it it can be, it's just the divine child, the, the child of Father Nature Shiva and Mother Nature Parvati the intersection of life, elephant head, primal world nature, human body, and divine spirit. And so Ganesh 
is actually universal. There's uh, Ganesh museums in places in Europe. There's a, a Ganesha park in, I think it's in Dublin. Um, he's just this incredible uh, being that really is about the present moment. It's about coming into relationship with our own spirit and life force. Um, and so, you know, and then actually, you know, I just want to share one other little thing is, you know, I'm working with a, an amazing group. I'll give them a little shout out. They're called Elephants Now or the Ganesh Project. And my friends uh, there are doing this incredible work to protect elephants in Asia. South Southeast Asian elephants are in um, critical condition, especially in Sri Lanka, um, endangered. But what elephants do is they open up the primal pathways in the forests and in nature for all, I won't say all, but for many other species of life. It's kind of like the, the, the meridian lines of the planet mm. for the forests. And they're like these primal beings that you know open these pathways, corridors of life. They also make often the watering holes. Mm-hmm. And they, they eat a lot within a 50-mile area. They, they eat lots of seeds, you know, but they don't digest very well, so they poop them out. <laughs> Can we say that word? On? That yeah, word? yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> That's not a problem. Uh, no. <laughs> but, but they kind of reforest everything. So if we think of this ancient understanding of the yogis and other cultures that revered elephants, and yeah. one of my teachers, Nandu, you know, they, in his tribal uh, wisdom, they patterned their wisdom after the elephant herds. That's the feminine. The matriarch, the leader of the herd, is the, is the, is the female. Mm. And so that kind of mother wisdom, I mean, you know, think like 5,000 years ago, you know, how people are, where their consciousness is, and they're really tapping into this deep natural world. So Ganesha actually comes out of that in my understanding, is this really this interface with with life, but as this being that is really accessible as this divine spirit. And in bhakti, that's really what all of the different forms are, are ways for us to relate personally with God, goddess, with spirit. Because if we just say, you know, there's a saying like, you know, God is imminent and transcendent or transcendent and imminent. If God is or spirit is just transcendent, it means it's very hard to have a personal relationship with with the source of life because God is always out there. And this mm-hmm. is actually in some religions is, is the idea that, you know, God is separate from his creation. Right. So how could you have a personal relationship with a God that's separate from their creation? But if God is also imminent, meaning, and that's, to me, that's what the divine feminine is. Right? You say God is male or female is just our minds. God is beyond that. God is the totality of everything. But if we really understand the divine feminine as Mother Earth, as our own bodies, as sexuality, as creativity, as the living process, then everything becomes sacred. And that's what Tantra is, in truly, you know, it's, in the West we say Tantra, people say, oh, sex. No, that's <laughs> one, aspect, one aspect of it. But Tantra means the weaving. It's the ancient shamanic wisdom of India that is really about 
the fullness of life, that earth is as sacred as heaven, your body is as sacred as the deities, that everything is made of the same energy. Um, you know, so that's kind of a bigger answer, but, you know, Ganesh is really... So mythology just simply is, is the sacred myths of humankind allow us to put into a form the abstract and this infinite consciousness so that we can actually dance with it in life, you know. Um, there's one really beautiful one, just real quick, is, you know, Krishna and Radha, you know about that. Mm-hmm. It's like this divine, the divine lovers, the divine love affair. And um, when you're around that culture, sometimes it's just so intoxicating and, and beautiful because it's really um, just... I mean, really all of the mythologies are like this, but we actually develop this really personal bhav or mood within the heart to relate with all of life. Mm-hmm. And that's what bhakti is, you know. You're weaving in uh, such a beautiful way with your words, touching on so many aspects. So within that, sharing how uh, we can connect to all these things that we don't see and but we can feel and definitely when you're in bhakti you're there like in a a real visceral way if you can share a little bit how to bring because in the Tao we would say the phenomena you know everything is phenomena and then but we still have to like chop wood and fetch water but there's a great value to uh connecting with the unseen and deepening that practice uh in a sense but not out of uh grasping for the phenomena but more for the wisdom and how to integrate it into the, the physical the material and if you can share with the listeners in ways that they can really feel whatever they might receive and integrate it into their everyday living so you know it's like we're, we're all vessels you know it's like we are in life life is giving and receiving you know forgiving and forgetting I like to say but you know, giving and receiving. And we all come from somewhere. You know, we could debate what God is or, you know, the origins of the universe and all that. I mean, that's, people have been debating that for millennia. The thing is to find your path. You know, there's a great quote by um, Carlos Castaneda, and, and and I don't know if this will be exact, but essentially he says, you know, all paths are made up but the key, the key is to have a path with heart, because that will lead you to the goal. And you know, in a sense, you could make the statement that you know all of our spiritual traditions down here are, in one way, perceived, and I won't say made up, but just you know, there's so many different possibilities, right? And so how to become a complete person, how to become integrated spiritually, mentally, you know, physically on all levels. That's really the goal of yoga. And so, when, you know, your, your question, you know, about, you know, kind of integrating the unseen, the mystery, the infinite into our daily life of chopping wood and carrying water, this is embodied spirituality. It's it's not saying that, you know, the goal is somewhere outside of this life, outside of 
you know, our experience. But it's really how do we tap in every day or regularly into that infinite source that we all come from or, or whatever the origin is? How do we tap into our deeper being, deeper love, deeper wisdom, deeper energy, and bring that into our daily life, the chopping wood, carrying water of our daily relationships, our responsibilities, our work. This is transformation. And so I would just say the main thing is that we have to, our vessel, to bring it back to that, has to have a practice of receptivity where we tap into the cosmic force. And so maybe that's our Tai Chi practice, maybe it's our Qigong, maybe it's our... Christian mystic meditation, it's our Sufi spinning, it's our yoga, it's our chanting, it's sitting in the garden, feeling the sunlight. The doorways to the infinite are infinite. We can mm-hmm. fall in love with life at any moment, you know, Satori moments, right? It's like you just can see the beauty of a mountain or sunrise and you fall into that which you are. Mm-hmm. The problem though, and I'll just say this also is that, I don't say problem, but the, the, the barrier is our conditioned thinking mind. The, the avidya is a word we use in yoga, ignorance, and it doesn't mean in a bad sense necessarily, but it's just that we, it means literally not to see. Avidya, not seeing. We don't see who we really are. We don't see what's really going on. Why? Because we're caught up in this illusion of this I being separate from everything else. That's what ego is, right? Yep. It's this, I mean, ego in a healthy sense is your individuation of yourself, your personality. We're all personalities. And how do you, you know, how do you navigate in this body with good boundaries and, you know, and just being a healthy personality? But where it becomes too much is when we identify with this limited self as being real, separate Mm -hmm. from God, separate from earth separate from each other and that mental state of constantly believing our thoughts of separation constantly um, believing in our you know let's say I like to say you know like you know we believe in our bios (laughs) you know what I mean And and it's just it's like we want to you know, have have a you know like it's okay. I personally think it's 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 okay to you know really understand who you are and be a, be a healthy personality and ego. That's what we're all working on, but also to remember that your your deeper self is something else. And so, when we have those few moments of silence in our day of prayer, of meditation, or connection, we go beyond words. We go beyond the cognitive mind, beyond the ego to the truth of who we are and it's a process to learn how to live with that truth and express that truth I mean don't we all want really like in our heart of hearts if we got quiet enough still enough or real enough don't we want to be true you know true to life true to ourselves and you know as Shakespeare said right to thine own self be true and who is your real self? What is what are you here to do in this life? What is your you know, your dharma, your mission? What is your you know? So kinda kinda like that, you know, it's we, we tap into it because we are it 
And if you have a sincere practice of reflection, meditation, stillness, it'll just start happening. You know, I, one Tibetan Lama many years ago said that, you know, there are no shortcuts, but there is the mm. long way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Mm. It, well, and that's a perfect segue to uh, the eternal being. So what you're speaking of in the, in the sense is as we tap into our eternal spirit, that goes beyond this moment, beyond the immediate bio, beyond the immediate expression of self in a physical body. How, uh, for you, do you guide the evolution of your eternal being, knowing that you, you have cultivated certain things before here, uh, you will continue to cultivate things here, and then into the next? Uh, how do you look at do you feel into that that guidance because on a quantum level it always astonishes me from the work I do how much is already how much we're already weaving you know beyond this immediate moment mm-hmm. into that future self uh, and if you could share a little bit on how your practices help that maybe for yourself or maybe even for our collective society as we evolve together mm-hmm. Well, I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, I I don't I, I don't really know in in terms of my linear mind. You know, it's it's just it's a feeling, and it's when we're connected to life in certain moments, it's unmistakable. You you feel it. You know, it's like when you fall in love. You, you're what you're feeling in that moment is the universe moving through you, and. I think we're really good at, you know, BSing ourselves often. You know, we, we kind of, I mean, you know, a lot of it is just like we're trying to figure life out and, you know, it's become kind of a, a race down here on planet Earth. You've got to take care of a lot of things and we just keep going and people hold on to a lot of pain. We hold on to a lot of um, anxiety and stress and worry and we're going, going, going. We're incredibly resilient. But then the moment, you know, you get to a, a yoga retreat, you know, or somewhere where it's safe, we really start realizing like we have a lot of stress and anxiety and maybe we haven't been doing self-care or really listening to our hearts. And, you know, we're all in that matrix to some degree because we're participating in this. So yoga and other practices give us a way to be more resilient, to come back to our center, to clear clear out the cobwebs and stress. For me personally, I, I do believe with all my heart, with every cell in my body, that we are connected to the earth, the electro, I mean, electromagnetic fields that weave us all together. Um, science has pretty much shown that. I mean, we're, we no longer ask whether we're living, you know, if, if, if there's a field, we know there's a field we know that nothing lives in a vacuum and we certainly know that all the ecosystem of the earth is connected. I also believe that's true with the universe, the one poem, you know, the one song. That's what universe means, right? Universo. We are, everything is connected from the kind of, you know, quantum level, you know, to the material level. And, and so each person to the earth, we go back to the earth when we leave you know, we come in through our mother's womb. And I can't claim to know, you know, I know where I'm going or, you know, I know that 
you know, it's like, I mean, I, I don't believe in enlightenment as this final destination. I think that's one view of it, but I really believe enlightenment is continue, like a constant process of awakening because the universe itself is evolving and awakening. Mm. So all I can do very humbly is, you know, is try to, you know, is do my practice and, and tap into that inner guidance of where to go and what to do. And then the synergy happens. And I can really feel it. It's like when it really is aligned, synergy happens in our life. And when it's not aligned, I also feel that. I can feel where I'm, you know, still working out those karmas or um, lessons. Mm. And I really, you know, I want to say that, um, and I don't expect everyone to agree with me on this one, but this is just something I've come to in my own process and it may change. But I think the myth of enlightenment on this planet has been a state of perfection mm-hmm. that we project, like kind of romanticizing what it would be like to have no problems or you know right. <laughs> be happy and blissful all the time. And I and I think there are you know definitely certain beings that achieve that state, and I think it's accessible to everyone for moments. And right. I think that the Earth School here is really about learning shadow and light. You know, the shadow of the guru has been like many gurus you know to be honest right just being caught with sexual you know uh improprieties or at least things that were not aligned or things around money or whatever and it doesn't mean that all gurus are bad what it means is that we're all human to some degree Mm -hmm. and so i really see life as this constant process of evolving awakening and working on ourselves and and self-healing you know that's really to me what it's about and you know i don't know of anyone that has all the answers i mean pretty much if you show me any guru or spiritual teacher or professor or self-help guru they've all got stuff that they're working on in their life and maybe you know and maybe there's a few exceptions do you know what i mean like those great beings that arrive but you know babaji has a saying you know there's a saying um Every saint has a past, and every sinner has a future. And um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, just one last thought is, is like that sincerity again of doing our best to tap in to that. And you know, I've, I've personally been through one of the most challenging years of my life, and just the endurance it's taken, a lot of upheaval and and shifting. And then I kind of look out at what's happening on our planet. And I don't want to sugarcoat anything. You know, it's like, you know, really amazing people that I know, spiritual beings, go through hard times, go through difficulties. Um, I've had many friends, yogis, come down with cancer in this last year. And, Mm. you know, so this kind of idea of black and white is, to me, it's, like there's a lot of gray area and, and moving between. But I will say that, you know, we're on this journey together. I don't know that anybody knows what, where we're going um, because that's what we're, we're meant to create together. But the more we align with our spirit and inner guidance, we start to see clearly, um, you know, our our path and then the this, this synergy starts to happen. Absolutely this cause and effect and, you know, where someone might 
uh, be like, wow, you know, uh, the late Dr. David Simon of the Chopra Center is a good friend and mm. kind of a, a soul being for me. And uh, But, you know, he died of cancer, uh, brain cancer. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. you know, there's karma. There's absolute karma. And if you can speak a little bit to the, the fact that, you know, really when you're talking about that dark, surfing the dark and the light that, you know, I always tell my clients with students that this isn't about just always being in peace, love, and joy. It's about learning how to surf, like the big swell and how to, hope, like, yeah. uh-huh. uh, how to lay on the board and just sip up the sun, and you love those moments too. <laughs> but if you could do them all yes. really with grace, you know, then you started to really understand this world system that we're in. So, so if you can um, share a little bit about that, and then we're going to go into your divine song, your divine voice. Om Namah Shivaya, blessings to, to David. I never met David, but I do know his son, Max, and you know he's really an amazing young man and teacher. Um, and I was so, so sad, you know. Um, we're, we're, life is precious, you know. That's, that's one of the great teachings of yoga is that this human birth is precious, and we never really know how long we're going to be here and to not take it for granted. And when we, you know, the more we can see through the eyes of the soul with, you know, that higher vision, higher perspective, however we can bring it to see life with wisdom. I mean, it's like when you start seeing through the ego personality levels, because that's really where we get into a lot of conflict, right? It's egos. Um, You know, do you want to be happy or do you want to be right? (laughs) You know, ego is so much about a, a perception of self or world that we want to have control and we're not in control in the end. And if we can see beyond these ego personalities of countries and political parties and the people in our life that we have conflict with and see that underneath all that are beings trying to find their way through this life. Now, ignorance, not seeing will really turn us upside down and we're all, you know, we can all be upside down and we start doing things that we think will bring us happiness, but actually create more suffering and confusion, like the accumulation of power, right? Shakti is a word for the divine feminine. It's also the word for power in Sanskrit. And when we misuse Shakti, we create suffering for ourselves and for others. And we've all mm. done that at some point in our, in our journey or evolution. And we see now in large scales, countries, governments, parties, misusing it, individuals misusing it, using power in a way that does not affirm life, right? Dharma means with life. A dharma is against life. So this is our big choice right now on the planet. Are we going to choose consciousness and a way forward with life, all life, to support all living beings, Mother Gaia, or will we continue to choose, you know, war and violence? And we, I think we all have to look in ourselves make those choices every day, even subtly, you know, and figure out how to keep seeing that bigger picture, you know. Ramana Maharshi, one of the great sages of India, said there is no other, right? mm. period. <laughs> it means we're all, we're all connected, that one spirit is in all of us. And, you know, that can be really hard down here because it's so polarizing. I mean, even right yeah. now we're seeing that with the politics and you know, don't cast anyone outside your heart is really for me the practice and that's not easy. Right? Mm-hmm. So um, so, you know, this kind of surfing, you know, like 
the shadow and the light and duality. You know, I think you and I are just really on the same page with this because I, I, I use that same metaphor. It's like we're learning how to dance mm. in, in the actual place of duality, which is this earth school, right? This is where we have male and female. This is where we have sun and moon and earth and sky and yin and yang, Republican and Democrat or, you know, this yeah. is the place of polarities. And the truth is we're actually, we are all of these things. We are, mm. we are actually the intersection of life. How do we all get here? Through mother and father, through union, the sperm and the egg, through, you know, we, are, we have within us our mother and our father and our ancestors. We have our children within us. And... Mm when we have made certain things on this planet holy and we have said that the rest or other things are the devil or suffering, we create polarity. And so we've actually been taught in many ways that, you know, a lot of the acts that we do are even parts of ourself are the devil or suffering or negative or, and we've, we've set God apart from, creation and, and you know I, I don't know I can't claim to know the truth I can only say that my experience is that I mean look at our world we, you know we've we have not seen mother earth as a sacred being we have not honored women we have not honored our own bodies and that's yeah. part of the mess we're in and even if we could see our gurus and our teachers as having their human side like what if like instead of like this paradigm spiritual paradigm that sex is bad that if you're really awake you're not going to be having sexuality that purity is beyond that to me that's i mean i'm just going to straight out say it. <laughs> and i don't expect everyone to agree with me but but i think that's part of the problem you know sexuality as a sacred process sacred loving right that's that has to be restored to its rightful place, and so the distortions of sexuality are then taken out. The distortion, you know, the rape and pornography and these kind of things are really horrific things. Come through our distortion in relationship to sexuality because we're not in alignment with it. Hmm. And I'm not saying you know it's a, you know it should be about in, indulging or anything like that. I'm just saying that everything has its right place and balance, including sexuality and including feeling and being human and even something like anger right like yep. we have this spiritual perceptions on as if you're a spiritual person you should never be angry well what mm. we're seeing on the planet right now is this collective rage waking up especially like a lot within the feminine but i have the feminine within me of the repression of so much of what's happened in this last time cycle yep. and it needs to wake up but if it wakes up as just kali fire and and scorches everything, then we're also in trouble. Absolutely. It has to be, I'm not saying it can't do that, it certainly could do that. And, and I just want to clarify because, you know, I'm, I'm not saying, like that, that feminine energy that's waking up right now is in all of us, first of all, but the feminine has every right to be angry and to be in rage. And we also learn on our journey to channel our own anger into healing like channel that fire that we feel into creating this new world. Let that fuel you. Don't let it consume you 
and don't let it, you know, destroy. Uh, you know, yeah, exactly right. <laughs> so, you know, it's just a touchy topic, and I and I want to be clear, like, like there's a place for our anger, there's a place for our sexuality, there's a place for our joy and our love, and yet we're in this like cosmic soup right now where if we have this spiritual idea that we just have to be nice and sweet and only loving and not have any sexual thoughts or anger or we're in trouble. Absolutely. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, anyway. and you, and you keep, you, and you keep referencing, you know, our, our earth teacher. And so I always, even for my own self, if I'm like, huh, so you can't necessarily look out to society as it is right now. We're a little convoluted <laughs> in many ways. So, but if you look into nature, she'll teach you. She'll show you, like, this is what the yeah. sexual energy is. This is what anger is in Mother Nature. This is how we express it. But it doesn't stay there. You know, you're not traumatized from it. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, yeah, and, and, you know, the different rhythms within nature, because she kind of welcomes all different rhythms, you know, from the creation energy to anger, all of that. Um, and I think if we can all attune to what that is for ourselves, but it's, it takes, you know, you have to go into the woods a little bit to hear those things for sure. Uh, oh, yeah. Brought, that's a whole other interview uh, about sexual energy and anger. <laughs> that, that would be a good one. Well, Woo! so I, <laughs> We'll have to do that at a later date if you're amenable. But so yeah, yeah. I purposely saw did not like nothing worse from my perspective from working in the music industry, making you dissect your whole album because I feel music should meet self, <laughs> and it's gonna speak to everyone a little bit differently. But I want you to share a little bit about this creation, Ten Thousand Sons. You know, you've touched, I would say, thousands and thousands of people, hundreds of thousands. Uh, of people all across the planet with your voice. Uh, if you can share about this album and your seed inspiration, what was that propelling from, you know, that cosmos to give this out into the world and a little bit about what it has to offer from your heart to all of ours? Wow. Um, yes, I'd, I'd love to share on that. And I, you know, just want to put a place marker because you know we got into some deep stuff today, and and just to let everybody know that's listening, you know, this is a conversation, and I I don't, you know, as as you don't, you know, it's like we don't claim to have the only viewpoint or understanding, but it's just this is what so much has to happen on our planet is just you know these deep conversations about the nature of life and the possibilities. Um, so you know, we took we took on some big big stuff in there, but you know, just just yeah, I'd love to come back around to it. And, yeah, you know. So the album, um, my my father, who is uh, not here anymore on the earth plane, but he was a musician, and I I got his love of music. Um, you know, he was a jazz musician and music copyist, but he all you know, music was always right there in his heart and. Um, so I, I grew up around it. I was in a recording studio when I was about 14 years old, a little um, sneaking around in there and, and just mm-hmm. learning. And I, and I actually had a career in the music world for a while until I kind of realized that it was um, the way I was doing it at that time in the music business was just unhealthy. And a lot of my mentors, I just learned from them. You know, it was, that was a tough life. And, you know, so I just realized one day that if I kept on that path it wasn't you know it wasn't going to be good and uh, I'd wake up like in 10 years and wonder where my life had gone you know mm-hmm. kind of thing and um, 
I think I'm still doing that, but it's definitely more connected, you know. But um, so I, you know, and I had already been doing some yoga and that, and so I kind of got into yoga. And but I, when it was when I got to India, and really heard that music, kirtan, that I realized what had been missing from me in that experience of music, which was God or spirit, or just that you know deep, the connection to the mystery, and certainly that's in can be in any music but there was just something that really touched me about the mantras and the chanting I started with a lot of Buddhist chanting with my first teacher and that kind of progressively went into the yoga so over the years you know um, I you know just always loved music and as I started teaching I'd bring in musicians and and you know somebody gave me a, a, my dear friend of mine Sean Korn gave me my first harmonium and um, it was a present and, and just you know, that took me really into just playing for myself, chanting in my room alone for hours, going into the sound current. Um, and then just slowly over time, it started showing up in classes. And then, you know, somewhere around 2004 or five, you know, started playing with, you know, music, other musicians, chants like that. Got invited to Bhakti Fest and other festivals. And, you know, and it just became this thing, a vehicle of my own, healing and chanting and I don't really you know consider myself a, a singer in that you know there's so many amazing singers out there you know a lot of my friends and people out there and and I'm just kind of a humble musician I, I surround myself with great musicians and um and just I'm learning it's my own this is my practice like I'm chanting for me and there's a certain quality though in the voice for everybody's voice that it's called vak in Sanskrit it's the, the power that comes through the voice. And I think we can all cultivate that. And so I'm kind of learning how to share that. And I think that's, that's what's there in my voice sometimes. It's just that there's something that can touch people. And I'm grateful for that. That's a gift. I don't, you know, lay claim to that at all. And um, at a certain point, we just realized that we didn't have an album. People kept saying, hey, you know, do you have an album? I want to buy your record. Where, where can I get your music? And I was like, wow. <laughs> We don't have one. Um, so 2014 with my, my dear brother, Jim Beckwith, who I want to give a shout out to. He, uh, you know, you meet people in your life that you have this great, you know, deep connection with creative energy. And, and I've been blessed to have many. And, and Jim was, you know, he was right away. There was a connection. And so we started doing this album. And, and part of it was just this creative process to kind of travel around because we're traveling anyway and record our friends and just really organically let this music come through but after two years <laughs> it was like oh we got we got to pull this in a little bit um because you know it's this deep creative process that we were in and but we needed to bring it to a completion so i reached out to another old friend of mine uh dave stringer who's an amazing singer and pioneer and you know chanting world but an amazing musician and i actually co-produced with dave back in 2000 a couple of his albums yeah um and actually a third one as well and so dave came on board and you know anyway we, we brought it home and so it took about two years and it was just so much fun to i mean i wanted to bring in more people but we had to kind of cut it but it was just to let this music um, be a celebration of creativity and the heart. And the chants are all, you know, they, they're, it's a mix of traditional mantras, um, 
arrangements that we did and some medicine songs. Mm. And it's really from the heart. It's a lot in Sanskrit, you know. Um, and and I felt like, you know, the spirit of the music, you know, there was space for that to come through. And uh, a lot of people really have, you know, shared that they love the music. And to me, that's a gift. Um, 10,000 Sons comes from the Vedas and Upanishads. It's a, it's a term, you know, that the really, you know, the truth inside of us shines like 10,000 suns, or sometimes it's a thousand suns, you know, the, you know, that's who we really are, it's just that infinite divine spirit that wants to shine through everything and everyone, and, um, yeah, I, I, I wish, you know, I, I could do the music even more, you know, it's, it's tough to make money these days, or living, I'll say, in, in the music business, unless you're at a very high level, and, you know, I think that's great. I, I'm always trying to, you know, support local musicians and musicians mm. in the yoga world and stuff because it's so important. You know, um, there's very few professions where you, you put all of your energy, love, and craft into what you do and then pretty much are expected to give it away for free yeah. <laughs> or almost free. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, and that's not necessarily bad. I mean, it's just that's where we are at, but... And there's a beauty in things like Spotify and these other platforms because you can reach a lot of people and it does make it very accessible. But I would just say that, you know, when people support the music they love, that's so awesome because you're you're supporting the people that are making that music that have made that music their life. And um, so, you know, thanks for supporting. And to all of Mm. the people out there that have been supporting us and, and me over the years, I'm so grateful. Um, we're just chanting together, you know. <laughs> well, I, you know, so when you walked on the scene into yoga, I think, you know, that was that gateway that was opening up for what we see now. Because I'm, I'm myself even kind of blown away. You know, it used to be barely any studios or anything, and now it's everywhere. Uh, it's, it's really powerful to see how, you know, and you are one of the founding fathers uh, of that to bring bring yoga to the West. But you brought that, your voice and the song, and you brought spirit, you know, that thing we talked about in the beginning, that you, you helped us all, all touch divinity within ourselves during our practice. And I can only speak for myself, but uh, being mm. in your classes and, you know, touching it way back in the day, you know, it felt like going, you know, to the temple, to the ashram, mm. and uh, just being deep devotion to something that was so familiar, you know, but not always present here. So, you know, that's, you've been a huge gift on so many levels. You've paved a nice way into your future. Uh, Are you guys doing vinyl? Because that's come back. (laughs) Are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Not, not yet. Um, Not, not vinyl yet, but. Okay. But download on iTunes. Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, there's a couple of things, and and thanks for your kind words. I mean, I you know I don't think of myself as a founding father, but I definitely I'm getting older, and um, <laughs> just really you know grateful to be a, a part of it. You know, it's this mm-hmm. incredible movement. You know, um, so so the music um, has been released in stages. You know, the first when we first released it, and um, you know we released our first single in 2015, Jaganesh. Um, 
and you know enough of our friends bought it and it went to number three on the itunes charts it was really great it was like a f- kind of fluke and uh and and mo- and pretty much all of the money from the digital sales from that has gone to charities that's been a big thing for me um trying to connect like music with a purpose i call it and you know mm-hmm. I'm, I'm always trying to connect the music especially and, and i always give my time to where i can just to other causes. I mean, that's seva in Sanskrit. That's like, you know, loving service. There's so many places out there that need, you know, need love and awareness and funding. So we've given to quite a few things. And then we also released a song called Nepal Song, which Jim and I wrote during the earthquake. That one's not on 10,000 Sons, but you can find it on iTunes and Spotify. And, And that also went to number three. So thanks, everyone, for buying that. And all that money went to a few groups working with um, the people of Nepal. And um, and then we released just released the album on iTunes because I'd only just released it, the CD, like selling them, you know, at our shows and stuff like that. But we just released it. And that went to number three as well. So we have this amazing confluence at number three um, on the iTunes chart there. And... Uh, you know, I'm really grateful for that to everybody that has bought the music and, and shared it. And it's just like it's a real gift to me. Mm. Um, and a lot of, you know, I don't know the exact number, but so much of what's come in has, you know, gone to, we've passed on whatever we could to other causes, including, you know, Standing Rock, Amazon Watch, um, our friends at, you know, the Ganesh Project, uh, Romana's Garden, um, one Heart Worldwide. These are all like really great organizations, and um, yeah, I, I so where, where people could get the album. So we're we're on Spotify now. Pretty much, we have everything up there. Um, iTunes. Uh, there's another great website called Bandcamp, which is very mm-hmm. artist friendly. So we've sold a lot of our digital copies on there in the beginning. Um, and that's pretty much, it's also like on Amazon, I think Google Play. I'm, I'm kind of learning about this whole world right now. Mm. Um, but yeah, those are like the main places that people could find it. Beautiful. And um, shout out your website, because I know you have some upcoming events sure. and teachings. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> right. So we're... Um, you can find the music at Atma, A-T-M-A, means the inner self or soul, so atmamusic.com. And it just links to a page where it has all these various outlets um, that you can find it. So, um, And my website for the yoga, you, you could either go to saldavidray.com, that's the easiest one. Um, so we'll just use that. My name's SaulDavidRay.com, and that has information on, you know, yoga and other trainings. We do, you know, I do a lot of different stuff. And um, we're getting ready to do a tour uh, coming up. Uh, actually, the next part of that is called the Heart Medicine Tour, and mm-hmm. it's yoga and chanting. So we'll be in Nashville November 16th. And then from there, going up to Oregon, Bend, and Portland. And then we go down to Northern California, Sebastopol, um, 
Berkeley, at Yoga Kula, Sacramento, Santa Cruz, uh, San Rafael, Open Secret Bookstore. But anyway, people could find these dates. And uh, I'm going to be on the road a lot, I think, the next few years. That's <laughs> definitely uh, what, you know, the universe had in store for me to, to go back yeah. on the road. And, and, yeah, it's really great, you know, just to be able to share space with people, share yoga, share music, and share heart and connection. And, and to me, that's the gift of life. And the more we, we do that, the more we create that energy on the planet, which is why, you know, I feel so passionate about it. Mm. Well, we're grateful that you're doing that, Saul. <laughs> you're Thank again. you, sister, so much. Really appreciate you. Yeah. And, um, so I, I thank you for being here. I know we went over. I apologize if you were late. Oh, no, it's okay. It was fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh. so, I, I um, want to give a shout-out to you, too. Many people may not know this, but, uh, you, know, it's, you know, you're also an amazing teacher and wisdom keeper i actually did a, a, a retreat with you down in guatemala yes. and um that was really a special experience being with you and you know just if, if you don't know about suzanne's other work you know she's an amazing teacher and healer and, and wisdom keeper so mm. thank you thank you that's very sweet of you well thank you for being here today Saul. we really appreciate hearing your wisdom excited the album's amazing uh, please support Saul's work and thank um, you yeah keep creating <laughs>
healing star May the thoughts and action of my own life contribute to the blessing of our But I would love to have you back to talk about anger and sexuality if, if you are comfortable and would like to <laughs> well, do and that. Well, hopefully some other topics too, you know. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, let's include I, love and peace, yeah. But, yeah, yeah, but those things all route us to there too. It's just the misunderstanding. And I, I think the more the conversations can be about those things. I know when I do certain subject matters on my radio show, it's amazing. The ones that are the gritty are the, where people are really craving uh, wisdom. But, you know, they're like, oh, I should be over here with that love-happiness topic, but I don't really understand this thing. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, that, that's much needed in our society right now. Or people, I feel like people are craving it to understand it. So, anyway. Wow, yeah. No, no, it's, it's beautiful. And I, I just want to just say one more thing about that. It's just the whole intention of that conversation is to really honor the fullness of life. And it's actually yeah. where we, we deny certain parts of it. Like, like anger, ha- like we'll just say that one. So anger actually has a healthy reason for being in existence. It's, it's our reaction to something that is wrong or unjust, I mean, on one level. And, and so it, it just, we have to find our way to be able to navigate through that, just like we have to navigate through understanding our own joy and our love and our bliss, you know. It's the fullness of life. So that's, yeah, that's all. Oh, absolutely. So, 
All right. Well, you have a beautiful day. <laughs> you too. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Blessings. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Saul. Namaste. Namaste. Bye-bye. Blessing of